Good morning. We don't have a, uh, a church award to give out to folks that uh, come to church in sub-freezing weather, and I, I don't really know if it'll earn us any any credit um, in heaven. And, and I do wonder sometimes if the people that chose to stay home and watch online might not be the more um, wise of the bunch. But we are glad you are here. Um, while it's cold outside, it's warm in here, and so we are excited to join together for worship at Cross Timber. Hopefully the temperature is comfortable. If you're, uh, if you're a little cool, um, I have a suggestion. You could always move toward the middle and sit closer together, um, but we want to welcome you in the name of the Lord. We are excited to be here to worship today through song. Uh, we'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 5 in a few moments after we sing a bit, and then we'll pray and receive our offering, but... Uh, it's good to see you folks this morning, and we look forward to 
to worshiping um, during our time together. Would you stand and sing with us this morning? Your mercy never fails me. Oh, my days, I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Oh, my
Thank you. You may be seated. Let's read from God's Word together. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to start reading in verse number 15, and we'll read through verse 21 before our deacons come and we receive the offering. Paul writes these words to the Ephesians. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Gentlemen, will you come and take our offering? Let us pray. Father, gracious God, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to worship in this building, Lord, and thank you for uh, the words we're about to hear, Lord. May you open our minds and our hearts and our ears to those, Lord. At this time, we'd like to give back what right, is rightly yours, Lord. And we just pray that it is used for your word, your kingdom. We pray this in your name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us? Yeah. 
Have your Bible handy, Colossians chapter 4, where you can find your your place. I just glanced at the clock and it's nine minutes after 11, um, so we should be done by 12, 15, easily maybe 12.30, um, actually hopefully before that. But you know, it's really great because the heat is scheduled to stay on until about 1.30, so it's going to be nice and warm in here, and, um, and so it, when I get in a hurry to leave somewhere that's nice and warm, unless you, of course, get hungry, and then you may want to do that. But since it's cool outside, and depending on whether you're a cold weather person or not, that may or may not be exciting, what I want you to do is picture in your mind the perfect day. 
Now, some of you immediately, it's probably about 85 degrees outside and sunny instead of what we're having now. But I want you to just picture in your mind the perfect day. I mean, every detail exactly the way you would like it. Every minute, all 1,440 of them are, are packed with meaning and purpose and it would just be so exciting and thrilling and you're thinking to yourself, what a day. I can't imagine anything would possibly be better than this. And then suddenly you realize it. You get so caught up in all the details and the busyness that you left out the most important person that you wanted to include. And you omitted just a, a few of these really great details that you wish you'd included, but you get to the end of your 1,440 minutes and you figure out it's too late. And it's not looking so perfect. After all, the meaning and the purpose, that moment is just not there, it's gone. And I start with that because what I want us to think about this morning is what we need to do in our lives to live each day for Christ and for His kingdom with, with meaning and purpose. That we can find order to our day. We can find meaning even in the midst of busyness and the details if we take time to focus on the most important thing. Now, I mentioned the most important person. And having that day starts with always including the most important person. And that's Jesus, seeking His will, searching to know His mind, that we find out that we have the mind of Christ and following in the leadership of His Spirit. And I hope that by the end of our time this morning, that probably won't take us till 12, 15, that we see that a meaningful Christian life involves devoted prayer, wise time management, and graceful speech. Now, where did we find this? We find it in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2 and down, reading down through verse 6, where Paul is concluding this brief letter to the church in Colossae, teaching them what it means to live in Christ and also in Colossae at the same time. And we can find principles all through Colossians that show us that we, as God's people today, have the responsibility of living in Christ, in His will, in His power, but also living in our own address in our own zip code in our own state in our own country and we have this responsibility to be his representatives on mission living for his kingdom so chapter 4 verse 2 Paul encourages the Colossians continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving at the same time pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Can you just join me as we pray and ask for God's help this morning? Lord, we thank you for your word. As we turn to it now, we trust in it as true and useful. We trust in the power of your spirit to make it come to light to us. God, I thank you that spiritual things aren't a matter of 
intellect, but it's just simply you revealing to them, to us, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we're asking for just that. Lord, that you would reveal them to us and you would transform us in a small way in this time to be a little more like your son Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. So last week we kicked off 2024 talking about living with meaning and purpose, having the right perspective to set our priorities. And we saw that out front of all things, you have to keep two things in mind, God's character, who he is and what he does, and also who we are. You know, God has everything that we could possibly want or need, and here we are, we're needy and we can do very little for our own. And when we put those things in the proper perspective, it should drive us to seek God out. And we mentioned several things that we should pray for. That we should pray for wisdom because the time we have is brief. We should pray for mercy because not only do we need it, but also the people around us need mercy as well. That we should pray to be satisfied in Jesus. That we come to the point of saying, Jesus, you are all that I need. That we would ask God to give us a joy that would outshine our afflictions, that would shine His brightness in the world around us, that we would see God's miraculous works here in our day, not only doing miracles and healings and wonderful things, but also that greatest miracle of opening up blind eyes and transforming hardened hearts. And that we would be faithful and fruitful servants as we trust in Him and look to serve Him. So we'll be continuing along this similar theme this morning as we try to always see that there's a vital connection between prayer and our activity that we seek to do for God and His kingdom. That prayer is always the the thing that leads the way. It's not the thing that comes at the end of the day. That when we launch out in service and we hope to do ministry, that our first step is to seek God through prayer because we know that apart from prayer and God's power that what we see will end up lacking. We'll also understand how we use our time, those 1,440 minutes we have in a day, matters to God and impacts eternity. And then we'll look briefly at how we act and how we speak and how that impacts others in our witness. There's three things in the bulletin. Um, There's an outline there. And the first thing we need to understand is prayer is not optional. You know, there's several things in life that are optional. You can choose to take part in. You can choose to pass on. But if you um, profess to be called by the name of Christ, prayer is not one of those things. It's not optional. And in that, it's both a privilege. We have a blood-bought privilege to come before God in prayer, but it's also a responsibility. It's an expectation of every disciple of Jesus. And we say that and we think, yeah, that's true, but the tragedy is we often fail to take full advantage of this wonderful privilege that God has made available to us. So in light of this, the tendency that we all have to not quite live up to the expectation of being prayer warriors, Paul encourages the Colossians to be persistent, alert, and thankful in their prayers. Persistent prayer. The word there is to continue steadfastly or devote yourselves. It's it's a reference to an aggressive attack by an army. 
that they are going to seek out and pursue and either capture or destroy the enemy. It implies the idea of something that's relentless. It's an effort that sees a goal in sight and will do whatever is necessary to reach that end. Jesus told the story in Luke chapter 18 of this persistent widow who keeps pleading for justice to a judge that Jesus tells us didn't fear God and had no respect for man. So in a lot of ways, she's just persistently knocking on a locked door and being ignored. But she continues to knock. She continues to call out until finally, in probably disgust, the judge gives in and gives her what she wants. Not because of who she was, but simply because she kept on asking and she didn't give up. And Jesus told his disciples and tells us today from the very beginning, the reason he told that story was that we would know that we should always pray and what? Not give up. Because persistent prayer follows things through to the finish. We keep on praying. And when we pray, we continue to seek after God. We continue to ask. We continue to trust in God all the while with a confidence that God will answer. It's disappointing to call someone and hope to contact them and it goes to voicemail. And we know these days probably only about 2% of the population checks their voicemail. But it's disappointing. You call and you want to get somebody and you get a busy signal. Or it hangs up. But we know when we're calling out to God, we're not calling on a deaf ear. We're not calling on a God who doesn't hear. We're calling on a God who encourages us to seek after Him. To continue in prayer until God moves and God responds. But in the same light, many people, when they approach this word prayer, it's almost like a negative word. They, they, they just seize up. They don't know what to do. Um, they certainly don't want to be a part of it. Don't ask me to pray out loud. They think, gosh, you know, I would, I'd like to pray more, but gosh, it just takes time. Or there's, there's something else I could be doing, right? You know, something that w- would be more meaningful. And we make all these excuses, and before long we find ourselves not praying nearly as much as we should. So we need to, to ask God, God, to help us to see that prayer is a privilege. It's powerful. It's communication with you, the Almighty God, and that you choose to work through prayer to accomplish your purpose. That in prayer we talk to God. The God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who sent Jesus to be the Redeemer. We talk and then we listen to His voice. We get to praise God and we find that Scripture tells us He delights or He dances. He rejoices in our praise toward Him. And we seek God, and as the Bible tells us, we find Him, don't we? And oh, when we blow it, we can confess sin, and we find what? He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So Paul reminds us that we need to stay alert when we pray as well. To be spiritually awake. To be watchful. To pay attention. Because life is full of challenges. They're ongoing and they're not going away. And in the midst of it, there's a spiritual war that 
is unseen, but is very real, that rages around us all times. The days we live in are evil. The time until Jesus comes is short compared to eternity. And the needs around us are great. So we can't afford to have a prayer life that's uninformed by the Spirit, that's ineffective and that's powerless. And so Paul says, keep your spiritual eyes open, be awake and alert, and continue to pray with help from the Holy Spirit with insight. To be awake, to be alert in prayer, but also to be thankful. You know, you really cannot separate prayer and thankfulness. Because it's the gratitude that we show toward God that builds enthusiasm in our our prayers. The, The more we pray, the more we become thankful for the privilege and for what God does. And the more we thank God, the more likely we find ourselves to pray. Oh, and when we do pray, we take time to remember what God's done. His faithfulness, and we thank Him for it. And then with that confidence welling up in us from a thankful heart, we pray confident prayers. Lord, we know what You did. We've heard what You did. We've seen You do it in our life. We ask You to do it again. And then we thank Him for what He is going to do. See, Paul had a desire for this this young church, the Colossians, to flourish and to grow in their relationship in Christ. But he knew that their prayer life needed to be persistent and it needed to be purposeful. And so in this we see the, the idea that we need to pray specific prayers and specific people. Why? Practically, because when God answers a specific prayer, you are able to give a specific thanks to it. If you pray in, in general, you know, you, you miss out on those opportunities. You're like, okay, God, that is exactly what we are praying for. And God, we see you did it and we, we thank you. And so here the urgent request Paul makes is prayers for evangelism. Paul's great goal to make Christ known, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, or just simply tell other people about Jesus. And so how does he ask for prayer? He asks for open doors and clear feet. He says, Colossians, pray for me. Now, he doesn't ask that his life would be easier, that he would be kept safe, or that he would gain material prosperity. It wasn't a self-centered prayer. No, his interest was spiritual over the physical. In fact, he prays for the very thing that Put him into prison. He prays for the clear proclamation of the truth of the gospel. Verse 3, he calls it that he would make known the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. In the footsteps of Paul, John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, minister during the 1600s. He was arrested for preaching. He was put into to prison. And the authorities made an offer to him. They said, Mr. Bunyan, we will freely release you from prison if you promise to stop preaching. Now, rather than seeing it a free ticket out the door, Mr. Bunyan replied simply, if I'm out of prison today, I'll preach the gospel again tomorrow by the help of 
God? And the guard probably said, well, I guess we'll take that as a no. And in a similar light, Paul's concern was that he continue to live in Christ and live for Christ, to have as many opportunities as possible for, for witness, not only for his personal ministry, but those of that were his associates. And so he asked for this open door. It represents an opportunity, doesn't it? If you've ever been in a workplace or a school where they have a quote-unquote open door policy, that it's supposed to be the freedom to talk directly with the person in authority. It's to show that there's equal access for anyone. And standing you know, at the opposite end of that is a locked door that just simply says, we don't care and you're not welcome. But that unlocked door, sometimes even a propped open door, just says, come on in. And so Paul's request is, pray that God may open to us a door for the Word. Isn't it miraculous that God can open the door of a single human heart? Somebody that we know, somebody that we come in contact with. That God can open doors for us to witness, whether we're at work, whether we're at school, whether it's a store, anywhere we go. Or that God can open doors in dark places around the world where the light needs to shine and where those that we know and love and those that we don't know share the good news of Jesus in hard places. And the key, what unlocks those doors, what moves God to make those opportunities is prayer. And so we should pray that God through the Holy Spirit, would open doors for you and I to share. That He would open eyes of both men and women to see the need for the Savior. That He would give opportunities for those all around the globe in those places that still yet do not know who the Savior is for the light to shine in. But then if we ask, if we genuinely ask for those opportunities, we need to be on the lookout. We need to be ready because I promise you, God will provide them. So he asked for open doors, but he also asked for clear speech or clarity. It's there in verse 4, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now we keep the goal in mind. His goal is to make the mystery or the gospel, mystery of the gospel, plain to men. And that's what we see in this word. The word there that they translate make it clear means to expose something that was hidden from view or to cause something to be plainly understood. Sorry, that the phrase just started in my head, do I make myself clear? And I was trying to think how many times I've heard that in my, my life. But um, the idea here is that you don't have to say that because what you have presented is made crystal clear by the work of God in your life through the Holy Spirit. And here's the truth. God can use our conversations and our everyday life, the places we go, the things that we do to reveal truth. Who Jesus is, why Jesus came to earth, why in the world do human beings need them? And that's where we are in this day is because so many people are open to spiritual things, but they don't really see that they need to be saved from anything. The reality of a real place called 
and then opening their eyes to see how they can receive the most wonderful gift, the gift of salvation. And so hopefully you can see in just this brief look at these introductory parts of these verses that prayer is not optional when it comes to sharing the truth about Jesus because it's Jesus that does the work, that opens the doors, that opens hearts and opens blind eyes. And so if our goal is to be men and women of purpose and have a bold and clear witness of faith, it can only be because Jesus is working in us. And so to sum this up, I want to give you just a a phrase to remember, to maybe underline it for you. And that's simply, when we pray, God works. When we pray, God works. And that's really what we want, isn't it? We want God's work. We don't want our efforts, which always fall short. But when we pray, God works. So let's move on. The second thing, not only is prayer a priority, and it's not optional, but time is valuable, and we need to use it wisely. I mentioned earlier, 1,440 minutes in a, a day. When you state it like that, it seems like, man, there's a lot of time. There's more than enough to do everything, but boy, we see how quickly those minutes get away from us, and we find ourselves with many others at the end of the day wondering where the time went. And there's probably not a lot of people in the world that think, gosh, what am I going to do with all this extra time? I got everything I wanted to do finished, and it's only 8.30. I've got all these minutes left. Some people think that's what retirement's like, but then you find those that actually enter into retirement find out that that time gets um, used up quickly. But you take that 1,440 minutes, and you start whittling away time for sleep, time for eating, time for talking, time to drive, time to shop, not to mention the important things of life, like just simply goofing off and wasting time. I'm just kidding on those things. All of a sudden, time escapes, and you can't go back and replace it. And so a principle that we get from the Bible is that we should be wise with our time. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So what does it mean to make the best use of time? If we go back to when Paul wrote this, the word he uses there means to buy up or gain something, especially something that's to your advantage or something that would give you an opportunity. So I was thinking about this, and um, come February, I'll be on, um, it'll be the one-year mark of this quest I'm on to to eliminate all the medicines that I was taking for my type 2 diabetes. And so one of the things that I, I, I do is I, I look for things that I can eat. And one of the things that's been a missing part of my, um, my diet is things that crunch. You know, if, if you, you know, vegetables crunch, but it's just not the same as like a cracker or a chip. And so I'm at Kroger. I like to surf the, the clearance thing at the back of Kroger. And all of a sudden I, I find some things that crunch that are marked down because probably nobody else could stand them. But I was so desperate for crunch that I had to have them. And the first thing I found were these almond crackers. And they were, they were pretty good, you know. But then, oh my gosh, I found a few weeks ago a product called, and, and this name's hilarious, they're not tortilla chips, they're tortillas. And the P is capitalized in the middle of it. So it's made from pea protein, almond, 
flour, cassava flour, a few other things. And finally, I discovered something, a chip that I could dip into salt. A chip that I could put queso on. And I looked at the, the, the price, original price for like a little 8-ounce bag, $6.49. Which that means at regular price, that would not be a part of the Rusty Gillum diet. But the price that it was marked down to was $2.73, which I made work. So I tried them. I bought a couple of bags. I came home, and Deborah said, well, you should have bought more. And so I went back, and said, I got a bunch. So I bought up almost all that they, they have. They're good. I can, I can eat them. But it's the same idea here with our time, but multiply it by infinity and importance that we would look around, see how valuable our time is, that we would stop wasting time, and that we would redeem or buy up the time that we have left to use it for God. Because here's the reality. They're going to make more of those tortilla chips, and they're going to sit on the shelf in Kroger, and people aren't going to buy them, and they're going to be on the clearance shelf again. It's just the way things happen, or they're going to discontinue them. But time is a non-renewable resource. Every second that ticks away is gone and can't be regained. There's no way that we have to stop the clock. The past tense continues to grow and the present tense continues to slip away and there's no going back in time until they really invent the flux capacitor. Sorry if you watch Back to the Future. But as of right now, we can't go back in time, and I doubt we ever will. But in light of this, Paul says, back to the Scriptures, that we need to make the most of our opportunities. So he says, what do we do? We walk in wisdom toward outsiders. It's a calling that we, we live out the gospel in front of non-believers. That we live our life in a way that they clearly know the truth, they hear the truth, they see the evidence of a transformed life that you and I and they become introduced to the reality and the person of Jesus. Now, he calls those that are non-believers outsiders. Now, he would consider insiders to be those that were part of the church or in Christ. Outsiders are simply those that are outside of Christ. And he tells us, in relation to them, that we should walk in wisdom. Why should we walk in wisdom? Because the goal at hand is to extend to them the opportunity to trust and believe in Jesus as their Savior. And so the, the journey of the Christian life is a, is a walk that is to be lived out in wisdom. That in wisdom, which God tells us if we seek, we'll find that we should grow, we should become fruitful, we should live a life that's pleasing to God. And as we seek to live wisely, we find that His Word is the guide that we need, and His Spirit is the life that we follow. So in brief, what does it look like to, to walk in wisdom? If you read through the entire letter of Colossians, which you can do in just a, a brief setting, you find that it's living what Paul calls in Christ. It's living the Christ life. That there's a commitment to follow after Jesus, there's a trusting and a faith in His power that works in us, that we realize more over time that there's less and less we can do on our own. There's actually nothing we can do on our own. 
but everything that we do that is of any consequence will be done in Christ. Which means that our ongoing challenge is to allow Jesus to call the shots in more and more of those 1,440 minutes we have each day. That we continually look for more ways to love and serve people for the sake of Christ. We look for opportunities to speak the name of Jesus, to speak on behalf of Christ. And that we let those outside of Christ see that Christ is actually at work inside of us. So how can we do that? Well, if you get a chance to extend love or mercy, you know what? Extend love or mercy. If you have a chance to to speak for the kingdom, speak up. If there's an opportunity to serve, take time to serve, rather than just sitting around waiting for somebody to serve you. And if there's an opportunity now, don't wait until later, because that later may not ever come again. And so we should settle our accounts with, with Jesus now. And if there's opportunities for to offer reconciliation to others, we should do it quickly. But if we're honest, we'd probably just say, but we're all busy. I mean, raise your hand now if you're not busy. You're, see? Yeah, we're, we're all busy, right? By our own estimation. We're all busy. Interruptions happen. Distractions are a real part of our life. And more often than not, we fail at making the best use of our time for God's kingdom work. Commentator, Pastor Henry Ironside, gives us this encouragement. Time is given to us to use in view of eternity. So we have time here on earth that God has given us as stewards, but our viewpoint should be that it is for eternity that we are living. So another phrase to remember to kind of help us think about this. Don't let the unnecessary crowd out the important. I was reading something yesterday and it was just making the distinction between things that appear to be urgent and things that are necessary. And Franklin Covey developed this. It was he, he actually marketed it and made a bunch of money, but somebody said it before him. But the idea is, you know, things that are urgent, you know, often present themselves as having to be done in the moment and need to be done in the moment. But the things that really matter and the things that are important usually take more time and don't necessarily have to be done in the moment. And he gives this example. It's the idea of getting your grandmother a gift for her birthday. That could be urgent if your grandmother's birthday is coming up, right? But the more important is spending quality time with your grandmother. Because that birthday is going to pass. That gift's going to be forgotten. However, if you forget to get your grandmother a gift or a card, that may never be forgotten. I'm just kidding. I'm just depends on who your grandmother is. But the important is the time that you spend with him in life. So don't let the unnecessary, things that don't necessarily matter, that don't have an impact on eternity, that if they go undone, who cares? 
crowd out the things that are really important, the things of the kingdom. So we come to the last, and this, depending on where you are on the, the spectrum of obedience, this may be the most challenging, graceful speech. And we need to understand it's possible and it's powerful. Now at some point in your life, maybe your mom or maybe your grandmother, who you did a pretty good job of keeping up with her birthday, um, might have said to you something like this. If you don't have anything nice to say, what? Don't say, don't say anything, right? I've heard that a few times. Um, you learn your lesson eventually. Um, but similarly, Paul is telling us and the Colossians that if you can't speak graciously, then you shouldn't be speaking for Christ. And there are some poor examples of this that we see. Um, we have, there's a, there's a church in, in Kansas that, you know, is continually outspoken and, and speaks um, in a very um, aggressive and hateful manner toward, um, toward abortion and other issues. And I would say that there is um, a definite lack of love and grace in their words, that it's um, very heavy-handed. But if you can't speak graciously, you shouldn't speak for Christ, because the words that we speak, the things that come out of our mouth are powerful and just like time that gets away, words that come out can't quickly can ever be taken back. The Bible tells us what? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So the words we speak can hurt, they can hinder, but oh, if they're rightly spoken at the opportunity led by the Spirit, they can bring healing, they can offer help. So think about this. What we say, what we text, or what we post matters. And, and I wish I wish a lot of Christians would get this, um, because, you know, you, you shake your head and you think, okay, you know, you may not agree with that, you may not like it, but why in the world did you have to, you know, type a, you know, 675-word rant on Facebook to let the world know it? Um, and I saw something last week that I thought was kind of funny. It's like, had this guy with this look on his face, and it was like that moment that you type a text, and, and you're about to send it, and the Holy Spirit speaks, and you just reply, okay. You know, I think that's what we need. We need that buffer in our lives that realizes that our speech should be always with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So what is he saying? The words that we speak, and you're going to have to flip the outline. A and B are going to be flipped because it just flows better in the text. The first thing is gracious and true. So if you want to mark in C, good, they're good, or mark in or B, gracious and true. So if we have been transformed by grace, then the words that we speak should be graceful words. How we talk should show that there's grace in us, which means that conversations that we have are, are guided by the Holy Spirit that our words are regulated by the Holy Spirit, that the words we speak and the things that we say are intended to honor the Lord and point others toward Jesus. That we look out and we say, oh God, help me to speak words that bring life, words that are true, words that are pure. So here's just some, some guidelines filled with hope. You know, there's enough pessimism in the world. We don't need pessimistic Christianity to um, become a thing. We need optimistic, hope-filled Christianity, people that are following after Jesus that are filled with hope and that are willing to offer in encouragement. But at the same time, where that grace season with salt comes into play, 
is that we're not afraid to challenge folks when it's appropriate. That we're willing to confront in love and all the while, no matter how loving and how gracious we want to be, that we never, ever compromise the truth of the gospel. Because it could be possibly the most unloving thing you could ever do to agree that someone was okay in their sin and compromise the truth of the gospel. When the most loving response could say, I love you, but what you're doing is an affront to God and detestable in His eyes and it's sin. So it's gracious, but it's seasoned with salt. You know, salt is amazing. We find it in many different things. Our bodies have it. The ocean has it. Salt can cleanse things. It can flavor things. It preserves things. And all the words that we speak can have very much the same qualities. So he's really asking, Paul is saying, you know, that they would speak words that have some flavor to them. That would add, you know, life, healing qualities to the dull despair and desperate lives that people live. Because let's be honest, you know, and unless your taste buds are trained otherwise, food without any any salt is pretty 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 gross, pretty bland. And some people they speak about faith in the same way. It's just, it's just lifeless. It's just dull. It's bland. We should be excited. We should be joy filled in our speaking about who the Lord is. But on top of that, the words also should be personal and genuine. Short paraphrase, you need to know who you're talking to do, who you're talking to, and who you are, and your words need to match who you are, and they need to be fitted for the person that you're speaking to, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So in that phrase, each person, it indicates that there are different types of people, doesn't it? There's people that are all around us that are unique, they're different. Each one is an individual. And while we could never, ever figure out how to appropriately approach each and every one of those people with God's help, He can help us speak words that are perfectly fit, that are appropriate, that are adapted to each person and each of their situations. You know, we, we we find out pretty quickly that it's not, you know, words that we memorize or some sort of canned speech that, that brings comfort and brings life into people's lives. But it's through building those relationships. It's through listening with our ears. It's through asking questions, allowing them to talk. It's through learning about the other person that then the Holy Spirit begins to, to guide us and help us as we speak, to help us to choose our words in a way that would best communicate with the person that we're speaking to. So some things to remember. We have to remember that it's it's conversation. Conversation is two-way. That implies you speak and listen, they speak and you listen. It's not a lecture. That's where they just listen and you talk. It's also important to, to realize that we're speaking to the person not at a person. So again, just to tell you, you know, conversation is two-way. And as um, evangelist professor um, Alvin Reed says, that it's, we need to remember that it's talking to the person in front of you 
about the Jesus inside of truly evangelism in a, in a short definition. It's talking to the person in front of you about the Jesus inside of you. But it needs to be genuine. It's personal, but it's also genuine, which means simply what you say should match how you live. That walk should equal talk, and if the two don't match, it's easy for anyone to see. Why the world can spot a phony in an instant. Now, I'm not saying you have to be perfect, because you don't. But we do need to be honest. And we don't have any business trying to be manipulated. But the words we speak should be this mixture that God helps us through the Holy Spirit to be both sincere and persuasive. Maybe this would help you. Think of it this way. Honest words from a grace-filled heart. All the while keeping the ultimate goal in mind. That you're talking to someone in evangelism that, that as far as you know is apart from Jesus. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. And your goal is you want them to come to know who Jesus is and hopefully put their trust in him. And so here you are as the Christian, filled with the Holy Spirit, with his love in your heart, with his spirit guiding your life and directing your tongue as you speak words. And you're out there, you're, you're, you're prayed up, you're using your time wisely, you're looking around for these opportunities, you're trusting in God to speak through you, and here you are, you're offering the hope. Of Jesus to those people that he misses the most. And when you have those opportunities, when God begins to work in that moment, it's the most exciting, rewarding, and most definitely best time you could ever spend out of any day. So here's the encouragement. Here's the phrase to remember. That when you're speaking about Christ and for Christ, build bridges not roadblocks. It's relationship. There's a wonderful um, author who wrote a book about evangelism. His name is Rico, Rico Tice. It's called Honest Evangelism. And he has a principle in speaking to others about the gospel. And basically is when they stop, you stop. Which basically means when... You come to the point of a conversation and they've clearly made it known that they're disinterested or they don't want to continue on, then your obligation or your responsibility in operating, you know, in, in grace and mercy and love is to to not continue on and to press in. Because remember, you're trying to build bridges. You're trying to have this conversation that could hopefully be ongoing if you if you ran into them again. And so Pray that God would help us to build bridges or friendships, relationships, not roadblocks, where people look for reasons that they can come and talk to you, not for reasons that they got to stay away from you because, well, that guy's just mean or he doesn't agree with me. So as we draw things to a close, let's think about it this way. The days we have are busy. Nobody is going to ever contradict that or question that. We are busy people. And our schedules are busy. The technology that we have helps us to be busy. And there's a whole list of things that we need to do. We want to do. And we need the Lord's help if we want to begin to make sure that the time that we have is well spent. Because the meaningful Christian life involves 
devoted prayer. It's the starting part. It involves wise time management, and it involves graceful speech. So before we pray, let me just review these three phrases to remember, to really put these things in context, and then we'll be done and we'll be gone. First, in regards to devoted prayer, when we pray, God works. The opposite of that is also true. We don't pray. We don't see God's work. Second, don't let the unnecessary crowd out the unimportant. And it involves God asking God, God, open my eyes by your spirit to see the things that really matter, the things that are most important and things that are unnecessary, things that are secondary, things that can wait. Help them to wait. Help me to make a priority list on my to-do list. And then finally, build bridges, not roadblocks. God, give me your grace. Help me to be personal. Help me to be honest. Lord, help me to speak up when the time is right. Help me to love when it's time to love. Help me to be your witness, empowered by your spirit, fueled by the gift of prayer, to go out and offer the hope of Jesus to people that are hurting day after day. I'll close with this short verse. Lord, help us to redeem the time you give us every day, to take each opportunity to follow and obey. Let's pray together. Thank you, O oh Lord, for how wonderful you are. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the goodness of your son, Jesus, and the opportunity that we have to not only serve him, but to share him in the places we go and the things that we do. We love you, O oh Lord. We put our trust in you, Lord. Help us to see the need that we have to be devoted to prayer, to use our time wisely, and to speak with words of grace, seasoned with salt. We thank you, O Lord, and we pray this in your name. Amen. I'm going to take a few moments as we listen quietly to musicians to uh, just reflect on this. And maybe, you know, as we're still getting into 2024, and, and you see that, you know, you, you want your life to be lived on purpose for God's kingdom, that maybe it's that piece of prayer. And you say, God, I need you to grow me in that area of prayer. Maybe it's in how we use our time, that if you looked at your list of priorities, that there were way more me and I priorities than there are kingdom priorities. And maybe you say, God, I need you to start helping me sort things and put them in the right light. Maybe it's speech. Maybe you just feel like you fumble around when you're trying to talk about Jesus and you need God to help you through the Spirit, to help you order your tongue and speak clearly. Or maybe, you know, if you're if you're looking at how you speak, maybe, you know, you would say, well, my words probably fall on a little more, you know, harsh side more often than they need to, and they're not always grace seasoned with salt. Maybe you need God to help you put those things in the right place. And you can ask Him and trust Him to help that. And so in the moments that we have as we listen, just focus on those things. Or, or maybe just as you're sitting here, Today, you're, there's just a renewed commitment to be committed to prayer, personal prayer, corporate prayer with your, your church family. Or maybe just to go out and speak the name of Jesus and share the love of Jesus with that neighbor, with that some person that you come in contact with. Or maybe for the first time, all this stuff just kind of makes sense. Like, well, I was...
just looking at this from my perspective. I'd be that guy on the outside or the girl on the outside and somebody talking to me and, and I don't want to be on the outside. I want to be on the inside. But you can open your life and make it available. Just say, God, here I am. I'm a sinner and I want to trust in you. I don't want to be on the outside. I want to be on the inside. Just simple faith and trusting in Jesus. We're going to listen to the music. It's your opportunity to respond. I pray and trust you all. Amen. Amen. Wonderful to just pause for a moment and listen to the Lord. Um, it's exciting this morning. Um, Danny, Martha, Arnold, they've uh, they visited for, for a while, quite a while, and been seeking the Lord about where to, to plant roots and be a part of a church family. And so on this second Sunday in January, um, Danny and Martha are here. Um, say that they want to be a part of the family here at Cross Timber. And so, guys, why don't y'all, if you don't mind, come up, you can fill that clipboard thing out later. Come up here and, and join me. Um, so they are, they are here today just to um, say they want to unite with our family at Cross Timber. And um, 
they were previously. Um, so it'll be a promise letter from Marytown, Marytown Baptist Church, because it's around the corner. So we're excited about that. So um, if you are excited about receiving them in our church family, we just join um, and say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so I'm sure when we're finished here in just a moment, you'll want to come and, and, and express gratitude to them. But for now, I'm going to let them sit down. And so you guys can, can sit down. And um, when we're finished in just a moment, um, you can stand up here when the cameras are off and, and people can thank you, can welcome you. And so uh, let me just announce a couple of things before we, we stand together and sing. First of all, um, men, you're, I know you're going to be disappointed to get up when it's like um, 9 or 10 degrees, but we will not be having the men's breakfast in the morning. So uh, my um, my advice for you is to stay home, drink your own coffee, and stay in your own warm home until it warms up a little bit, unless you, you know, unless you have to get out for your job and then do what you, you need to do. So no men's breakfast tomorrow, and we'll resume after that. Um, the second thing um, that, I, that I need to share with you and make sure you know is, is that, first of all, the... Um, the India Mission Dinner for this evening has been postponed. So um, with the cold weather and the prospects of, you know, any kind of precipitation, we just thought it would be better and safer to put, postpone that for a later date. Um, Paige and Sastri Misala are in our mission home. They represent um, Rehoboth International Ministries in India, and they are um, excited about the opportunity to share with us about their work. Um, and so um, when I spoke to them about this yesterday, here, um, I, I apologize right in, in front. This is my doing. So if there's any confusion, it's mine, but I'm going to try to make it as clear as possible. So I rescheduled them. I said, well, let's just do it the next week, thinking in my mind that our business meeting was the 28th and not the 21st. So so next week, instead of a business meeting, um, Paige and Sastri Misala will be um, providing lunch for those anyone that wants to stay, and they'll be sharing about their ministry. Um, in the worship service, um, Sostri will be preaching. Um, now, it's, it's a little bit of urgent because they have bought plane tickets and they are scheduled to return back to India on February the 13th. So they were, they were running out of Sundays. So, in, so next Sunday morning, clear picture, Sostri is preaching after the service, stay for lunch, they're providing the food, um, and hear about God's work in India. So it'll be a great opportunity to support them and also enjoy a good meal, and hear about Mission Work in India. So to necessitate that, we have postponed the business meeting until the following week, the 28th. So the business meeting will not be on the 21st, it will be on the 28th, and we will um, conduct business without a meal. And so I um, only heard one groan from that, and so, uh, but, but I quickly just moved on. Um, <laughs> no, so that would, um, so, and, and the great thing about it is, is if the Cowboys do happen to win, there's not any chance they're going to play a game at 12 o'clock or at 1 o'clock. So you won't miss a Cowboy game either way. Um, so plan on staying um, next week for lunch, hear about Peyton Sostry, and then on the 28th um, we'll have our first quarterly meeting of 2024. And I will clearly communicate that out in, in email and other ways so that we, we know we're set on that and we'll make sure it's in the bulletin so that we know when the business meeting is. So that's all I have to say. I apologize, but I think we've corrected it as best we could. I want to invite you to join um, in standing as we um, get ready to leave. Thank you for being here this morning. 
once we um, finish singing, Danny and Martha are going to be up front. I'm sure you're going to want to come by and thank them and just welcome them to our family across Timber. Um, other than that, just stay warm and stay safe. Let's sing together. Thank you. 